Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the darkest farm side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing paper? Swinging your tools the more you gave up. Call us the tricks of your trade. Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed. Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter. Don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade. Hello, welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Serson, construction adjudicator, lawyer and director of Tricks of Your Trade. Today on my podcast, I want to talk about a topic that it's going to be a little bit difficult for some some of you to hear about. Uh, It's about why builders, when they are going broke, don't fall on their sword. So a lot of people wonder, how did a builder get so deep with their debts? And we see these astronomical figures crop up on creditors' reports when a liquidator is appointed and the first creditor's report comes out and everyone balks at how many million dollars that particular builder owed. And one of the things people say to me a lot is like, how did they end up owing so much money? And there are real consequences for uh, directors of companies who trade insolvent, particularly if there are transfers of money to different entities as parachutes and things like that. Um, but There are some psychological reasons why people who are in business don't face facts uh, and they don't decide to put their company into liquidation or appointed administrator sooner. So it helps to explain that there's different ways builders can appoint administrators or liquidators. And sometimes you can have a voluntary administrator appointed and that doesn't necessarily mean the company's in liquidation. But an administrator can make a decision about how solvent a company is. So if a director was worried that potentially they'd got themselves into a situation where the company couldn't survive financially, they could get an administrator to come in and have a look at the books and make a judgment call, an expert, independent decision about whether or not that company can survive. Now, it takes guts to do that as a director. And you have to look at the psychological decision tree why these things happen. Now, if you're a subby and you're listening to this, you might be thinking, why do I care? Why is this important to me? Well, one of the things that you're going to need in business is commercial street smarts. And you need to be able to identify this kind of behavior and start profiling your clients so that you can see these things coming. And I'm not talking about keeping a little black book and keeping tabs on people. I'm talking about just having that commercial street smarts to see something when you're looking at it, to see one of these things in the wild and know what you're looking at. So there are real impacts on subbies when you're dealing with clients who aren't paying you and who are trading insolvent because the way they conduct themselves and the way they do business will cost you money, absolutely cost you money. And the sooner that you can pick this type of behaviour, the sooner that you can put measures in place to mitigate your own losses. So have a look at my previous podcast episode where I uh, talked about the 10 signs that your builder might be going broke and see if if some of this stuff starts to ring home to you about a particular builder or a particular client that you're working for. But here's the thing. If you're doing work for a builder and you have an opportunity to get out of a project or to not uh, not sign more contracts for more projects, you need to know in real time, the very best intelligence that you can have at every twist and turn in your your business career. 
So if you have all of the information available to you at all the times, you can make the best decisions moving forward. And here's an example of how this could cost you money. So say you are working for a builder or on one job and the builder offers you three or four contracts for other jobs that are coming up. Now, you might jump at the chance to work for the builder and so you might go ahead and sign contracts well and truly into the future just to secure and firm up your anticipated revenue. And then as you're going through the project with this builder, things start to unfold and cracks start to appear, but you've already signed binding contracts for three more projects. Suddenly you're in a situation where you can't get out of bed with this builder and the builder has got problems, the builder's house is on fire. So this is where your commercial decisions will tie back to uh, what information you have available to you at the time. And you can start to quarantine the amount of risk you take in terms of the transactions you enter into. So if you if the deeper you get into a project with a builder, you will all be familiar with this because you're all having retentions deducted from your progress claims. The deeper you get into the job, the more likely 5% of your contract sum is going to be held in the builder's bank account for retention. So when you are starting jobs and you potentially might not have sunk that much money into a job, if you have the ability to get out of that job because you've got this information available to you that the builder's house is on fire, there are merits in you trying to take an exit strategy if one's available to you. And if you don't have an exit strategy, the only thing that's going to save you is if the builder releases you from the contract or if the builder falls on their sword or, or a liquidator is appointed because some external um, person has taken court proceedings to have an external ad administrator or liquidator appointed. So these are the impacts on you. The longer the builder tries to trade out of their situation, the more likely it is that they're going to have 5% of your attention, uh, your contract sum in retention sitting in their bank account. The longer the builder keeps you on the hook for completing these projects while they limp through their financial crisis, the more likely the costs, the damage costs to your business will escalate. So what I'm talking about there is, say, for example, you don't get paid and you have to suspend work and the builder can't pay you even though you've suspended. What happens inevitably is you might have 40 workers who were supposed to be working on that particular project this week. And if you don't have another job to send them to, you've got real issues. The other thing is this, this problem exponentially multiplies itself by the number of contracts you have with that builder. So if you were in that situation I talked about previously where the builder said, look, we really like working with you and they offer you three more contracts and then suddenly the builder can't pay you on three or four contracts your business is going to be extremely uh, handicapped by not getting those payments in across all of your jobs. You could be in a situation where your own financial crisis is unfolding before your very eyes. So the damage costs associated with non-payment are oftentimes exponentially worse for the subby than if the builder had just fallen on their sword earlier on in the piece. Because at least then if the builder went broke before you, didn't, before you had the 5% in retention in their bank account, and before you got too deep in the job, you would have been out there uh, looking for other jobs with other clients who can pay you. And yes, you might have lost some money in the first instance, but the amount of money that you would lose in the long run would most likely be less. The other reason it's most likely going to be less is because as soon as a liquidator is appointed, they're going to look back to the preference payments paid in the six months prior to the builder going broke. And if the 
if the builder's been short paying you and you've been suspending work, there's a good argument from the liquidator to say, well, you should have known this builder was financially struggling. So you got preference by getting that payment. You should never have got that payment. That payment should have been equally distributed to the other creditors. And so we want you to pay that money back. So preference payments is a whole other podcast. If you have a look um, back in some of my earlier podcasts, I talk about preference payments. So I'm not going to go into that too much here. The other thing is if you've got a trade credit insurance policy and you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, Michelle, it doesn't matter how deep I get into the job because my trade credit insurer will cover me. The deeper the builder gets into the quagmire of insolvency, it's going to become public and it's likely that your trade credit insurer is going to pull cover. So the deeper you get with the builder, the more likely you potentially will lose cover over that builder for any work that you do after a certain date that the, the insurer pulls cover. So you may well have paid a premium for a policy that's now only giving you 80% of the value that you would have otherwise got because one of your biggest clients isn't being covered under that policy. So you can see how it's easy to think, well, no, look, the builder should try and trade out of this. The builder should try to pay the subbies. Like they should do whatever they possibly can to bring that money in the door and they should try not to go broke. But look, if we're delaying the inevitable and it's going to happen at some point, unfortunately, you need to be looking at how deep will I go with this builder and how much additional money will I be owed if I get six months down the track, 12 months down the track and this builder still can't pay. So, look, I want to circle back and talk about why do builders do this? Like, what is the psychology behind why builders will trade insolvent for so long? And look, it's not just builders. This is this is a situation where you could have a fish tank company. You could have, um, you know, a sandwich company. There are people with cafe chains and all sorts of things that might be trading insolvent who will keep racking up debts. But it's particularly difficult in the building industry because we work on such a creditor supplier basis. So the, the value of the debts that can be racked up are significantly more than if you were the local cafe owner because there's only going to be so many people who are supplying you in that context. Uh, but in the building industry, it's very easy to get credit from subcontractors. You would know yourself that if you've signed a subcontract with the builder, the builder has not signed up to your credit application form and you don't have a director's guarantee from that builder. The builder didn't have to show you any financials to get that credit account. All they did was they said, look, I'm going to offer you this contract. You should be grateful to have this contract. You're competing with other subcontractors to get this contract. If you want to work for me, big shiny builder, you've got to sign up to my terms. And that unfortunately is how subcontractors end up in this situation where the contract terms are so heavily one-sided that when you're dealing with being mucked around with suspending work and still not being able to take uh, any action to terminate the contract, you're stuck under contract with a builder who can't pay you. So um, I want to circle back to why builders do this in the first place, which is the topic of the episode. The reason builders who are in financial distress will keep trading and keep racking up debts is almost unique to the building industry in these ways. So they think they can trade out of it. Look, they think builders who keep trading don't have an, a realistic yardstick for how deep their problem is. And because when builders make money, they make money quickly in big sums of money. So you can get very rich very quickly as a builder and you can get very broke very quickly as a builder. So it's, it's big peaks and it's big tro troughs. 
So builders who historically have had a very profitable business and made a lot of money over decades of very profitable work suddenly struggle to come to grips with not making any money. And they look at it and they think, well, this must just be a short-term problem. And surely, given I've been so successful for the last four decades, this is not going to be a business killer situation for me. I will be able to trade out of this. And they also reason to themselves, look, if I've traded so well for four decades and now suddenly I'm hitting the skids, if if I'm given long enough, I will be able to trade out of this. So it's... It's one of those sort of mental perspective things where builders will trust themselves to know how to go out and make more money, but also they think that they trust the business they're in and they know that if they can just get another job, if they can just win the next project, if they can just do this, do that, do that, then they will be able to trade out of it and recover those costs. So that's one reason that uh, you'll see builders doing this. And, And I think if any builder is still uh, solvent, they have not yet faced the facts that they it's impossible for them to trade out of it. And if they have faced the facts that it's impossible for them to trade out of it, what they're looking at is damage control and going, okay, I need to at least pay this person or that person or the bank or the ATO before I can do this because then it's consequential damage control for their own livelihood Uh, So they're looking at what are the consequences if I go into liquidation now versus in six months time and can I pay a few people or can I do A, B and C to get myself past that point so the pain is a little bit less. So once I I firmly believe that builders who think they can trade out of it may not be acting in a selfish type way because they may be thinking, look, I want to keep trading so that I can pay these subbies because I feel terrible about what's happened and they're embarrassed and there's an element of shame in there. But if they've reached the point of realising that they can't trade out of it, then there's suddenly this selfish element where they look at damage control and go, well, if I can't trade out of this, when when is it best for me to fall the tree? And unfortunately, the purpose of this podcast in a big way is to build an awareness for builders that the longer you keep trading insolvent, you're not doing the subbies any favours. You're not doing any subbies any favours because of retentions. You're not doing any subbies any favours because of the cost to their business of having you short pay them and late pay them and not pay them at all. And the deeper that they get, the subbies will uh, be on the hook for preference payments and the trade credit insurers will pull cover. So if you're a builder and you're listening to this, you have to sort of stop and think about those things and go, am I saying I want to keep trading because I think I can trade out of it and pay everyone their money? Uh, You better want to hope that's going to actually happen because if you don't, you're you're not actually putting the subbies and your creditors' needs first at all because you're dragging them deeper and deeper into the hole with you. So that's number one is they think they can trade out of it, right? Number two is building companies historically start as family businesses because the same as you, the subcontractor, you will start from a trade-based or apprentice-based background and then you get some more autonomy, you have some more runs on the board, you go out, you start your own business. Maybe you're a carpenter to begin with and then you start doing renovations and then you start doing homes and then you go, well, I'd like to do some work in the commercial space and so suddenly you're a builder. And a lot of building companies will also um, be named after their families. So 
Um, that can be really difficult when you're looking at what are the family and the legacy expectations around keeping this thing alive? Because if you're a director of a building company and you're not the person who started the building company, but the building company's namesake is your family, have a think about what the psychological and emotional implications of putting that company into liquidation are. You almost in those situations will have to go and take the reins out of their hands. It's almost always the case that those those builders uh, who have the family or the legacy burden around uh, whether or not they've got a viable business anymore, the shame and the consequences attached to that and the family's reputation as well is a real issue for these people. So in a big way, it can be that um, they're not going to fall on their sword. And it could also be that those family members who um, gave them an opportunity to run the business, put them through an apprenticeship, brought them up in the ranks, and then suddenly handed them a business. But they handed them a business in a situation where the economy has gone into the most tumultuous period that we can think of in our adult careers. Um, certainly anyone around the age of 40, when you look back in terms of what's happened with the building industry, uh, the last few years have been right up there with some of the hardest years and most unpredictable years that we have had. So you you have to sort of put yourself in the shoes of the director and go, well, they might have been handed a company in one of the craziest periods to become the director of a company and they're struggling to reconcile how they communicate to their family members that, well, this wasn't just, I didn't just do a bad job here. Uh, we had some real economical issues that played a part in this. So uh, there could also be the fact that the person who is effectively the director of the building company may not have the autonomy um, from a family perspective, not necessarily from a, um, author a legal authority to put a, put a company into liquidation, but they may not have the family authority to make those decisions. So then it may be the case that the family have got a bit of pull and are pulling some strings in the background. Now, another reason that builders won't put their companies into liquidation until they're pulled kicking and screaming uh, from their office is because it be, being a builder intrinsically ties into the identity of a human being. So being a tradesperson, you will understand this. If you're a tradie, you know, if you're a chippy, if you're a sparky, it it's linked back to your identity. And if you have spent your career building up to this pinnacle of being a builder and this is your you know baby company that you want to take out into the world you don't really have anything to fall back on and to go out and try to commence a new company doing the same thing and the stigma around phoenixing that can be a really scary proposition so um you know if you don't have anything to fall back on career-wise that is another reason and, you know, it could be in addition to there are family expectations and we think we can trade out of it. Um, that's another reason why builders don't put their um, businesses into liquidation. Now, another reason that builders, and this plays a contender as well, another reason builders don't put their businesses into liquidation is because they think they know better. Some of these people have been high rollers and extremely rich and successful people. And it's absurd to them that they would be in this situation. So the, the context of the situation is not proportionate to the actual reality in front of them. So if the, if the business bank account just doesn't have any more money, 
it could be that they've got other business entities that they can use to prop that up and they're looking at commercial viability of things like that. But they consider themselves from an egotistical standpoint that they are bigger than this problem and that they uh, they may not be prepared to bankroll or finance the problem and suddenly you'll see them um, switch into sort of a victim mentality and go, you know, this, this isn't fair, I shouldn't have to prop up this company, what's happening with the industry is a political issue that the government has caused in a big way and somebody should step in and do something about this because I trust that I'm a good business person and there's just no way this is my fault. So you you get in a situation where the ego and the person behind the building company is just too proud. They will um, blame their staff, blame staff incompetence, blame subby incompetence for defects and problems with disputes with clients. Uh, you'll see them blaming clients of their own for for having you know poor architects. Suddenly, we'll see where builders will start to have court cases with their clients as well over different things. So they will blame everyone but themselves in that situation. And it's a real shame because builders in that situation are most likely to rip the subbies off. So if you've got somebody who is too proud and they think they know better and it couldn't possibly be their be their fault or be their problem, uh, and they believe that somebody should step in and fix this for them because they believe they contribute so much to the economy uh, that it's in everyone's best interest to prop them up. That's when you've got a real situation where somebody's just not really seeing things reasonably. They're not taking into consideration the harm they're doing to other people's businesses. So those are some of the reasons that builders don't put their companies into liquidation when they're trading insolvent. I haven't gone to the obvious ones, like they're trying to finance their exit strategy with golden parachutes and they're building themselves sheds and houses on properties that they're not going to declare. All of those things, we know those things happen. I I don't think it helps subbies to go there in that uh, frame of mind because the way to really help our industry through this problem is to build an awareness by relating to each other and actually having some empathy around this situation because you might be a chippy or a sparky or a concreter today but you in 15 years might be a builder yourself and you might find yourself in this situation where you have got problems coming from every single avenue and once a builder starts to show some kind of financial um, strain or any kind of weakness there is a witch hunt in the industry because of the fear factor around the media. So it's understandable that these builders won't say much. They won't come right out. And anyone who has seen builders come out on the news and say, We're in a, we've got a problem, we really want to pay our subbies, we need our clients to step in and give us a prop up payment for these projects, um, the builders aren't around anymore to talk about what happened there. And you you would have seen that the developers stepped in because the developers stepped in to finish the jobs. And in some instances, they paid the subbies. In some instances, they paid the subbies a portion of what they were owed and they tried to get discounts to get their job finished. So it is a dog-eat-dog world. You are playing in the big sandpit um, with the big builders. And these are some of the things that you need to be looking for and looking for the signs of when you're uh, going through your business journey so that you can make the best decisions possible about who you want to play in the sandpit with. 
So a bit of a dark topic to talk about today. I should reiterate, I have personally worked for multiple builders in financial distress. I've been present for conversations where directors have been getting advice from lawyers and I've seen builders who have had very, very profitable, very good businesses with family names for many, many decades um, be told that they're no longer allowed to build. And please don't forget that there are people behind these companies as well. It's easy to look at these builders as bullies and, you know, the problem behind the industry. But these people are human beings. They have got families They are trying to make the best decisions they can with the information they've got. And in 99% of the the circumstances, once they start to show weakness, then the witch hunt comes and everything gets exponentially harder. Um, The building regulator is not there to help you or nurse you through these problems. They're there to prosecute you and take your licence off you if you're not cutting the mustard. So Um, There are very few places a builder can turn to talk to somebody about this problem. And if they go to their lawyer, they're going to get advice that if they're trading insolvent, that they're going to have to put measures in place to appoint liquidators within a certain period of time or face consequences for insolvent trading. And, you know, this is this is really big, heavy stuff that these people are contending with. And you yourself would know that if you've got 40 or 50 creditors calling you every single week saying, when are we getting paid? And you have to eat the humble pie to say to them, I can't pay you until next Wednesday or next month or in three months or on this date next year, then these people are dealing with big problems. And that's not to say that they're bigger than your problems. If you've not been paid, you no doubt are likely under just as much stress from that, the repercussions of being the recipient of the non-payment. Uh, but I, I just want to touch on that and just remind everyone that, look, it's easy to say, you know, bloody builders, this is this is a real problem. They don't set out in business to do this sort of stuff normally, and particularly not if they're a big-name builder with a family name and a reputation of multiple decades. This stuff can be really difficult for them to come to grips with as well. So just on that, if any of you are having issues with builders not paying you or you think that your builder might have a problem like this, it does not have to be me. Please get some early advice. The earlier that you get the advice, the better the chances are that you might be able to put measures in place to mitigate the amount that this is going to cost you because inevitably if your builder is going broke and you want to keep working for them and you stick your head in the sand, you will have no way of preventing any of the costs to your business that this is going to incur. Uh, And if you want to become a secured creditor, there are limited ways that you can do that after you've signed a contract and you need time to be able to put those measures in place before a liquidator is appointed. So if you are thinking that there are issues with your builder and you need to talk to someone, it doesn't have to be me. Just please contact a construction lawyer or an insolvency construction lawyer and have a chat with them and see what you might be able to do Um, please start with a construction lawyer and make sure you don't just go to a general practitioner because in a lot of instances, general practitioner lawyers may not be aware of what um, special regimes exist for you to be able to become a secured creditor. I hope you all have a fantastic week. I apologise retrospectively for such the heavy topic that we just had to deal with, but I, I think knowledge is power and if you guys can really Put yourself in in the builder's shoes and start to understand 
why they might do things, your predictability radar is going to become much more efficient and you'll be able to see things coming so that you can put measures in place to stop things from going really bad. If you have any questions about what I've talked about on this podcast, uh, please drop me an email, questions at tricksofyourtrade.com.au. I would love to hear from you. If you have any questions about what I've talked about on this podcast, feel free to drop me a good old-fashioned email at questions at tricksofyourtrade.com.au. If you would like a systematic approach to your contract administration and getting paid, head on over to our website and check out the Subbies toolbox. You won't be disappointed there. And just one last time, our web address is www.tricksofyourtrade.com.au. Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the darkest farm side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing bugs? Swinging your tools the more you gave up? Call us the tricks of your trade! Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed. Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter, don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade!